This is Bigger Pockets Daily, and it's Friday. I'm Tyler, and the article I'm about to share comes from the Bigger Pockets blog. You can find a wealth of information on the site, or by searching Bigger Pockets in any podcast app. Maybe that's how you found this show. So let's get to it. Okay, almost time for the show. We'll get right into it after this quick break. Managing your finances used to be a pain. It was either useless apps or overcomplicated spreadsheets. Ugh. But now, with Monarch Money, managing your money is easier than ever. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com bigger. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to set up, customize, and use. You can even collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor at no extra cost to get a joint view of all your finances. Customize your dashboard, notifications, and budgets with the tap. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show right here will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com bigger. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash bigger for your extended 30-day free trial. Meet RentApp, the seamless, secure, free way to collect rent. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. You don't even need to download anything. RentApp setup is straightforward for renters, and there are no apps for landlords to download. Both get peace of mind with a digital transaction history. That means no more lost checks, managing a dozen different payment apps, or even wondering whether payment was sent. Landlords say RentApp is the most convenient way to collect rent, and we think you'll agree. RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Buckle up, investors. Interest rates are only going to get worse from here. <gasps> By Andrew Sirios. By most accounts, the Fed will hold steady after raising the federal funds rate by a quarter point to 5.25% at the beginning of May. A Reuters poll found that 102 of 116 economists thought the Fed was done raising rates this year and 30 believed they would lower it. Mm. With inflation down from its high of over 9% last year to 4.9% in April of this year, still high, it might seem like the Fed should reverse course now. But, as Michael Gapin, chief economist at Bank of America, noted, inflation is more than double the Fed's target rate, and the unemployment rate is below every FOMC participant's estimate of the natural rate. Still, with inflation having, over the last nine months, several recent bank failures and warning signs of a recession that many, including myself, have been predicting for like a year, still being present, there are a lot of reasons to think the Fed will begin reversing course on rates. If not at the end of 2023, then probably in 2024, right? Economic predictions are always something to be wary of, though. But with that caveat in mind, I would be willing to bet interest rates will be lower in May 2024 than they are today. In the short term, though, things look pretty good for interest rates. In the long term, not so much. We talk long term today. The coming upward pressure on long-term interest rates. 
If you spend much time in real estate investing forums, you'll hear something akin to, even now, interest rates are low by historical standards. I don't know why I did a, like a Mater impression there. But anyway, a lot of the old timers like to reminisce about back in the day when they had to walk to school several miles uphill in the snow, both ways, and how we don't know how good we have it, and the like. And the old-timers, whom we'll be talking about more shortly, are right. They're right. Just glancing at the average 30-year mortgage rate for the last 50 years makes that obvious. So it's hard to imagine rates being in the high teens, like they were in the late 70s and early 80s. But they were. Of course, real estate was a whole lot cheaper back then, too. So while rates are likely to come back down into the fives, maybe even the fours in the next year or two, when we zoom out to the next decade or two, we will likely be looking back at the period between the Great Recession and approximately 2025 to 2027 as an era of obscenely low interest rates not to be seen again in our lifetimes. There has become this odd assumption that the Federal Reserve can do whatever it wants to interest rates and thereby keep them low for as long as they like. And... Yes, the Fed actually does have a lot of power to bring the rates up or down, but it has to do so in response to economic realities it cannot control. If not, either inflation will get out of control or the economy will stall. Furthermore, its power is not endless, and what's coming will be beyond even the Fed's power to control. What is probably the most important trend going on in our economy is that our population is becoming older. So in a hypothetical society where there is no immigration and each generation has as many children as the last, a graphical representation of ages should look like a pyramid with the highest numbers at the bottom, the younger, and fewer as you get older until it hits zero at about 100 or so. Instead, the American demographic looks more like a tall house or a tower than a pyramid where the population doesn't begin to shrink until the roof starts at about 62. The baby boomer generation, kids born between 46 and 67, children of the silent and greatest generations, 1901 to 1945, who had many more kids than the subsequent Generation X and millennials, as well as the boomers themselves. Thus, the American demographic pyramid doesn't look like a pyramid. What's happening now is that many baby boomers are starting to retire. About 10,000 baby boomers are reaching retirement age every day, and many are leaving the workforce. Thus, a lot of production is leaving, too. As an aside, real quick, it should be noted that immigration is unlikely to affect this trend all that much. The median age of an immigrant in the United States is 47, which is a bit older than the median age of native-born Americans, 37. As geopolitical strategist Peter Zeehan notes, people behave quite differently as they age and this will have a dramatic effect on the economy. As he points out, mature workers tend to spend less while simultaneously being the rich people of their societies. That's taken from The End of the World is Just the Beginning, which you can find a link to at biggerpockets.com. It's riveting! So back in the day, that didn't matter so much because simple mortality means they don't exist in large numbers. Few savers, many spenders. Supply and demand. Borrowing costs stay high. However, the Industrial Revolution began to change that. 
The early industrializers experienced longer lifespans and lower child mortality, leading to a rough tripling of their populations. So at the same time, industrialization triggered mass urbanization, which in time led to smaller families and aging populations. But things didn't dramatically shift until after the Cold War ended. In a world of 1990 through 2020, all the richest and most upwardly mobile countries of the world were in the capital-rich stage of the aging process more or less at the same time. Throughout that three-decade period, there have been a lot of countries with a lot of late 40 through early 60-somethings, the age group that generates the most capital. Collectively, their savings has pushed the supply of capital up while pushing the cost of capital down for everything, every. Where? Mortgage rates have been the lowest in history, and advanced governments have, on occasion, been able to borrow at negative rates, while the major stock markets continue to explore higher and higher ground. The explosion of industrial output and technological advances of the past decade or so are largely due to the combination of the lingering Bretton Woods system and this demographic moment of a huge oversupply of mature workers and their money. Not only will the labor force shrink, but the formation of investment will dramatically shift as retirees will take their savings and have them reapportioned from high-earning stocks, corporate bonds, and foreign assets to investments that are inflation-proof, stock market crash-proof, and currency crash-proof. In essence, 70-year-olds rarely gamble on new startups. This is a global phenomenon. In fact, the United States is actually nowhere near the worst in terms of its demographic pyramid. China's pyramid, tower, we should change the word altogether, is basically upside down, or more accurately, bloated in the middle and tilted a bit to the left as the one-child policy caused a male surplus. Zihan's prognosis for China is dire indeed. The future of China is not the utopian myth of Chinese domination. The future of China isn't even the somewhat blasé expectation of inevitable regional dominance. China is powerless to defend or maintain or replace the order upon which its economic existence and political cohesion is predicated. The future of China is that of a people literally fighting to the death to continue to exist as a unified country at all. Zihan's prognosis for the world in general is pretty bad too. He foresees the breakdown of globalization and a multitude of nations being unable to source sufficient food and raw materials or finished goods to maintain civilization at its current state. He's expecting something like, you know, a billion people to die from famine, disease, and war during the next 20 years. That being said, I'm skeptical of some of Zihan's claims. Apart from his analysis regarding Japan, he really doesn't properly address how technology could make up part of the labor shortfall caused by retiring boomers, even in countries like China. We seem to be simultaneously worried AI will eliminate all jobs and also that there won't be enough workers to maintain civilization. Honestly, who knows how labor force dynamics will turn out? I don't know. Zihan also seems to assume that the elderly will behave as they have done previously, despite the crisis he foresees unfolding. While it likely means that people will need to push back their age of retirement, 
or in places like China, probably not have a retirement at all, that change in behavior could dramatically blunt his pessimistic outlook. Lastly, he goes ahead and assumes the U.S.-led world order has created stability that could not be matched in a multipolar world. There is certainly some truth to it, but we should also admit that the U.S. has also acted to increase instability in plenty of places as well. Like, I don't know, Iraq and Libya? An absence of an American-enforced globalized order could be substantially less volatile than Zihan predicts. Zihan is also quite optimistic about the U.S., and here, I also think he overstates his case. The United States certainly has some major advantages, particularly geographic, year-round, navigable rivers through much of the heartland, fertile and contiguous soil, a coastline with many natural harbors, and no nearby potential military adversaries. It's nice. U.S. population trends are also not as bad as many others. But he downplays some of the risks, including the erosion of dollar hegemony, a ballooning national debt, and the dangers of rapidly increasing political polarization, which is as bad as it has been in living memory. I'll tell you that for free. Let's take a look at the future outlook for real estate investors. So regardless of whether Zihan has overstated his case or not, it is clear that the demographic breakdown of the United States and the world broadly, as well as re-entrenchment from globalization, is going to put upward pressure on interest rates over the next few decades. It will also put upward pressure on inflation and unfortunately, much more so on commodities like food than assets like real estate. Worldwide, populations will likely decline, making property less valuable than before in many places. This isn't true in the United States, as the modest declines in population from our flattish population pyramid will be buoyed by immigration. There may even be a flight of capital from other countries with worse population pyramids to the United States, which may offset some of that upward pressure on interest rates and inflation. Uh, even still... Such capital flows are highly unlikely to do much more than cushion the landing. The days of property appreciation greatly outpacing inflation will likely come to an end and perhaps even reverse a bit. And investors should expect interest rates to return to what was seen in the 90s, if not a little bit higher. So when rates likely come down in the next year or two, I would aim for fixed mortgages over adjustable rate loans. And if you have any 30-year fixed mortgages at 4% or less, I would go ahead and protect those with your life. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to this show and enjoy your weekend. Me? I'll be back here with another show tomorrow. I can't remember the last time I took a day off. <laughs>